I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The business case for humor is, is huge, I would have thought, because if you get it right, you can win people over. I mean, uh, one person standing on a stage can fill a stadium with this weird thing that is comedy. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the world of business, sport, and entertainment who are going to share their wisdom and their sense of humor with you. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is the multi-award winning radio host, journalist and presenter of the second longest running show on LBC Radio. Considered a legend by peers and listeners alike, his smooth and seemingly effortless skills showcase his supreme sense of how to flip seamlessly from the serious to the satirical. Early in his career, he developed an extraordinary on-air relationship with comedy superstar Peter Cook, who would regularly call into his show. As the Observer newspaper stated, there's no one quite like him. You get the impression that he's living just a bit dangerously, and that's what makes phone-ins exciting. Clive Bull, welcome to the Humorology podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Wow, what a what an introduction. Nobody quite like him. That could go either way, couldn't it? <laughs> I'm sure it will go the right way. Now, you've been at the top of the uh, radio world for, for, for decades, literally. How important is humour in staying at the top? Yeah, I, th- I don't know whether I'm at the top or in the middle or somewhere, but... Uh, uh, I think humour is a vital part, possibly because even when you're doing quite serious stuff at the moment, of course, you know, the news, the world, everything is rather serious. But even then, you do need to retain some kind of sense of humour. Um, and I think that just kind of not only on the air, but actually off the air as well. It, uh, if you're good humoured about it, then people want to work with you as well. That's very interesting, actually, because it's I think that level of somebody who has been so long uh, in, on the radio, 
there must be something happening off air as well as on air that you get on with people. Is, is that humour is important to that as well? Absolutely. Yes. I always think that's that's the most vital thing, really, is getting on with your team. I've always found that really important. I mean, there are people who um, focus just on on the the work in hand and, uh, you know, their minions do whatever whatever they have to do. But I feel like, you know, you have to kind of hold each other's hands and, and get through it as a team. That's that's the way I like to do it anyway. And you've got to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you, you can tell. I mean, as you said, there are some people who think that they can bully their way um, to success. And, to, mm. you know, you use the word minions. I think that's, you know, an attitude. And uh, the Humorology mm. podcast is all about attitude towards a lightness, a humor. Um, and and what you're saying is that have you seen um, no names, no pack drill, Clive, but mm. have you seen presenters who have uh, been ousted basically because they weren't liked not not at the radio station where i am now but i do the, the thing is there are one or two people around both in television and radio and and everybody kind of knows who they are there's just one or two who are not uh they are a bit bullying yeah and and they don't have a sense of humor about it and um and everybody knows it and it it really isn't a good idea because the whole industry knows it then and, and people don't really want to work with you. And there, there are one or two, um, in, especially in television. Uh, so I'm told. <laughs> yes, having worked in television a lot, I, I could tell you a lot of stories. <laughs> but we, I bet. But we might have to call our lawyers. Yeah. Um, but actually, the people who are really, really successful and are at the top of their game, I do find... Um, are the ones who are incredibly nice and incredibly good humoured uh, and is really noticeable. Some of the very biggest stars you meet, you, you're rather disarmed by their uh, their general humour. Well, who is the biggest star that you've met whose humour you were dis disarmed by? Oh, crikey, that's that. That's a really hard one. You know, I mean, mostly I don't tend to meet big stars um but i suppose in in, in the humor world billy crystal i think probably oh. was one of the biggest stars i interviewed uh he's I a legend that, you know i mean uh, yeah yeah he, he's, he was just naturally funny he's one of those people who um who's just got it and i i was i was next in line you know how you uh it's like 10 minutes each or whatever and so i i, I went in and said uh, billy so you're uh here to uh promote your your latest film he said clive i'm here for five minutes and that's it <laughs> he was lovely he was really funny well isn't that amazing that you you still remember the people who yeah. were a that funny why do we love funny people so much i find it very interesting you you probably met far more comedians than i have um, but i've interviewed a few and mostly that funny people can be really serious and, and they regard comedy as a very serious business. And a lot of them are quite introverted. You, occasionally you get the real extrovert and they just a laugh a minute. And I find them quite exhausting in a way. Um, but, but they're also very, very serious comedians. Um, and I, I don't know whether that that's a necessity. If you, if you're going to be a comedian, you've got to be kind of uh, analytical 
like that. The only one I met who was just exactly as I was expecting, talking of big stars, was Eric Morecambe, who I interviewed a long, long time ago. And I don't know whether he was putting on an act, but all the way through, even waiting in reception, he was just entertaining everybody, doing all the glasses and everything, all the way through, had everybody rolling about. I don't know whether he just switched it on or not, but it looked like that was really him. Well, that that's funny because I uh, have an Eric Morecambe story as well, which really? is um, um, my best friend's dad was William G. Stewart, who uh, who fifteen to one, but he was a, yeah. a producer, a comedy yeah. producer, and he produced David Frost show live from London, and it went out live in Australia, but they recorded it here, so everybody did the show, so they didn't have to fly twenty four hours to promote their book or TV series or whatever. And uh, I was in the green room at Capitol Studios, which you probably know. And uh, it just so happened that, as you know, in green rooms, you just end up talking to the person beside you. And just me and Eric Morecambe were talking to each other. And uh, we're having a, a, a laugh, basically, about football. And he couldn't have been sweeter. And he was a big Luton Town fan. And suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this woman approaching who was obviously from the audience who'd managed to get backstage. And she sidled up to us and went, I'm so sorry to disturb you both. I, I, I just couldn't leave without uh, coming up to you, Mr. Morecambe, and saying thank you for all the years of pleasure you've given me and my family. And I just couldn't leave. I'm so sorry to have disturbed you. And he was so lovely and humble and warm. And as she backed away, apologizing profusely, he turned to me and I'm the only person there, did the thing with his glasses and went, seems like a nice young man. <laughs> And that's yeah, what, so, so what I say is I don't think that he was putting it on. I think he was just generally warm, funny and lovely. Who makes you laugh? I think what mostly makes me laugh and not so much. I mean, there are one or two great stars that I think are, are hilarious. Um, but often it's it's more reality that uh is really funny you know real people real situations awkwardness um that that i find uh really makes me laugh out loud in a way that a lot of things that are funny kind of just gently amusing you said that that realness is there a real funny story about something that happened to you that that, that you know gets into your sense of humor well i, t I think what happens with me is i mean a lot of it is on the air it's it's the you know people phoning in the the unexpected moment there have been lots and lots of those over the years um yeah like in the early days when i was doing uh doing the overnight program the number of times i'd be chatting away to somebody at half past three in the morning and and uh and i'd be going and, and harry what, what what do you think about that and you'd fade the fader back up and you'd hear <laughs> And that, and every time it's it, it was hilarious that the, partly because it's sort of it's self-deprecating because they've fallen asleep because, I, <laughs> because they're listening to me. But also it's just going to happen that time in the morning. And there's something hysterical about somebody who is waiting on the line to speak to you or is listening to you. And then you fade up the fader and they've uh, actually nodded off. So a lot, a lot of those like real real situations I find. And the other thing I find funny is uh, 
when you're not supposed to laugh. Um, so that's that for me is like a real tonic. Um, and in your, if you're in the studio, especially if you're doing something serious and you're not meant to laugh, um, like uh, I'm just trying to think of a, there was a very early call I had. I think we were doing a phone in about um, uh, unusual jobs. And this woman phones in talking about her husband and the job that she used to do. And it, it was quite a comical tale she was telling of uh, of how he used to work down the sewers and he had these huge trousers, sewer socks, she called them, and they came up to here and it was, and, and it, they were all sort of just uh, gently smiling away. And then she said, and then he caught a disease and died. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, it's true because I shouldn't be laughing, but my no, automatic reaction just, was, was to laugh. And it was terrible, terrible, but it was so funny. And the way she said it um, was so sort of matter of fact. Uh, and you, you can actually hear in my oh, well, I'm sorry to hear about that. And, and, and you know, but it's the fact everyone else is rolling around and you definitely cannot because it would be so inappropriate. And that I don't, it's, it's an amazing feeling actually when you you can't help yourself laugh and it really I don't know about you but it doesn't happen that often um but uh uh it's it's a real tonic in a way it's like a physical thing isn't it yeah it's well it's laughing in church I think it was always called wasn't yeah. it which you, you, yeah. the inappropriateness of yeah, it. Exactly. but I had I had a thing that Ainsley and I were at Westminster Abbey for the Commonwealth Day and we we went to school together and we became schoolboys because we were seated right opposite the whole of the royal family. And, and we were just and this just became hilarious to us that the two boys who went to school together would be in this situation. And we just couldn't stop laughing. It was, you know, it was the perfect setup, really. Um, but going back to that laughing at that, they say that um Comedy is tragedy versus uh, plus time, mm. so yes, things are funny if you you have a distance from them or you have yes. that. Uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely, and it takes a little while, but uh, eventually you can laugh at almost anything. Yeah, is everyone funny? Well, I certainly met some people who who I haven't found very funny, um, <laughs> but they. I guess sometimes unintentionally funny um, that even the most serious person can be funny without realizing it. I don't think everybody's got a gift to be funny. There are some people who are just naturally gifted. I don't know. Can you learn it? I, 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 I'm not sure whether you can, to be honest. I think you might be able to learn a few techniques, but really I just, there are some people who are just naturally funny and everything they say, you could have exactly the same lines. And when they say it, it's funny. Well, I'm very interested that you talk about can you learn it? Because obviously uh, I'm very interested in how you can teach it. I think everybody on their dating profile puts good sense of humour. Mm. But that's not true, is it, really? No. And I think going there, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, essentially. I think that the, one of the few things that you cannot teach is the timing of where the mm. funny comes. What, what do you think yeah. about that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely right. Timing is um, 
is vital and i don't yeah i i i think it, it is a, a a natural thing it's um i i certainly wouldn't claim to be naturally funny i have my odd moments but um but they're few and far between so <laughs> don't get your hopes up for this uh, half <laughs> I've listened to your show over the years, Clive, and I know you are very, very droll and very, very funny. But people have a different style, which yeah. is what make, makes it interesting. My friend Jackie Green, who is the uh, queen of PR on Broadway in America, has a phrase I like, which is be smart, be funny or be quiet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a vital thing, actually, is knowing when not to try to be funny. Uh, I mean, I can't really tell jokes. I never remember jokes. I can't even remember funny stories. I can spot, I think, when something is funny. Um, and as I say, occasionally it happens, and that's great. And you can kind of uh, bring out that moment. But there's awful, I think I'm quite good at filtering out. So that if it, personally, I think it's better to, if you're not sure it's going to be funny, don't do it. That's the smart bit, you know. I yeah, mean, I exactly. yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I, I do think, you know, listening to you and uh, having got to know you, I do think you're funny. But the the smart bit of it is knowing not to do it. Mm -hmm. I think the mm -hmm. uh, I you've you've worked with a lot of um, business people over the years, and the business leader who goes out to make the speech and goes, I have to start with a gag. Mm. And you know how clawing that is, don't you? Have you seen those kind of people try it and not succeed? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, and it's it's the, the trying is the uh, uh, is the mistake, I think. I mean, I've had I haven't met that many business people except to work with. I've got I've had lots of bosses and um, and I would say, for the, again, I'm not going to mention any names. They're, all, all the really good ones are actually naturally funny. They have a sort of humour about them. They're not necessarily telling jokes, but uh, they do it with a sense of humour. And not only around the office, but also in sort of formal situations as well. Well, actually, I will mention one. Um, Richard Park is uh, uh, one of the most senior kind of radio bosses in the country and he's he's actually quite a, a, a fearsome personality he's got an amazing attention to detail but he's also just really funny and i don't know how he does it because he's actually he can be like a um uh, like a stand-up comedian so we'll have big company meetings and he will actually he's got the confidence to do it what is terrible is if you do it and and, and it doesn't work but if you've got the confidence you can carry it off he actually is somebody who, who is genuinely funny, but manages to combine it with uh, an absolute attention to detail. Whereas there are lots of people who are funny, especially comedians, I think, who, um, who are completely hopeless when it comes to business. What would the world be like without humour? Oh, terrible, obviously. Uh, I mean, it would just be uh we, we'd all be kind of machines really wouldn't we i think i think we're in danger of going that way but uh yeah it, it would be almost unbearable wouldn't it i mean even in the, the the worst situations you need that little uh 
little smile and the, uh, the, the unpredictable moments. Do you think that that's what, because uh, you've obviously, you know, been around politics, reported on politics uh, for years. Do you think that that's the difference that that, that it makes at that level of likability for politicians or business people? Or, you know, is that, does that humanise mm-hmm. someone? Yeah, I, yes, I think that's right. And I mean, politicians are a fascinating example, really, aren't they? Because you've got... Uh, like Theresa May, who was who was the Maybot, who I'm sure in real life maybe she has a sense of humour, but she just could not get that across, and people didn't like her. She didn't have that likability. She didn't seem to have a sense of humour or a lightness of touch. It was all so kind of formal and and serious. And then you got the other extreme, uh, Boris Johnson, who who is a joker who plays up to it and. Uh, but actually doesn't seem to have any attention to detail and is in many ways dreadful um, for for the opposite reason. So it's a, yeah, it's really difficult. And politicians, I find, having interviewed many over the years, is they, yeah, they could all do with a little bit of, of a light touch and a, a little joke here and there, but they are terrified because if they get something wrong and it goes goes pear-shaped, they're, they're all terrified of what they say now because we pick up on the smallest thing and, and and it backfires. Well, you talked earlier on about self-deprecation and in in humour, and I think you're very good at that. Would that be something that you would recommend to politicians or business people alike, or is it dangerous um, to to go to uh, have too much of that? I I I think uh, I think it's all right actually. Because if you're certainly if you're the leader, you're the boss, then a bit of self-deprecation doesn't do any harm at all. I think that's better than I mean, a lot of humour is obviously at the expense of other people. And I, I guess, you know, if you're a leader of a group of people, you don't really want to um, to have the humour at their expense. Um because it's about keeping your, your your team together, isn't it? So, uh, I, I no, I don't think there's anything wrong with a bit of self-deprecation. So, is that the difference between uh, punching up and punching down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, or you can punch sideways out at you know, you can punch your yourself, company or whatever. Uh, punch yourself a little bit, but probably not too much at at your sort of uh, colleagues who are you're working with. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you think... You talk about colleagues. Do you think people laugh enough in the workplace or has it become very staid and serious? I do think it is really important to do that um, up to up to a point. There's a sort of nice balance, isn't there, where uh, I have been in one or two workplaces over the years where it's all been a bit too jokey and I haven't actually liked that. It's like the whole thing. We're just here for a laugh. Um, and that's that's not right. I think you've got to be serious about the job, but do it in uh, in a kind of good humoured way. And there's a, there's a very delicate balance there. And it's a really skilled boss. And as I say, I've had many of those who, who just about they've managed to get that right, that you can. There's a nice kind of relaxed atmosphere, but you focus on the job at the same time. That's, uh, I mean, but that's an art, isn't it? It's not mm. really a science. It's more of the the, the art of yeah. of when you look at the the people who've done it well and you mentioned richard park earlier on um what are they doing that's different and better i guess it's a sort of productivity thing you know that um that if you get the right atmosphere then people will want to work more um and yeah as i say i've had many actually some very very funny bosses over the years some who are just not not cracking jokes all the time but they do they, they do things with a wry smile, a little twinkle in the eye, and I think especially when you're working with a lot of younger people as well, a lot of producers and uh, and reporters coming coming up through the ranks, it needs to be an enjoyable experience, and it's a it's a very delicate balance. I don't know what the secret is to it, but I, I've, you can see when it works and you can see when it doesn't. And if people are kind of living in fear, then that doesn't work. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I, you know, I think it's so instinctive, but you would think that at the Harvard Business School, you could write a business case yeah. Yeah. for uh, humour. If you had to do that, what kind of things do you think would be in that business case? Mm, that is really hard, isn't it? Because it's not something that you can you can buy very easily. I mean, it's it's not something you can kind of put in a bottle and and, and sell to people uh so i mean the business case for humor is is huge i would have thought because if you get it right you can win people over i mean uh, one person standing on a stage can fill a stadium with this weird thing that is comedy and it's just them and it, it they have the skill to make a load of people laugh and and it's incredible but to you you can't really 
I, well, personally, I don't think there's a, exactly a science to it. As you say, you can kind of uh, develop it a little bit, but but when it's good, it's worth an absolute fortune. Well, here's something that, uh, because I'm intrigued by this, obviously, because the book and the podcast is all around this, but I, here's something that I notice about you, which I think would be in the business case right near the top, is listening. In, mm. in order to be good at humour, you have to listen. I mean listening off the top as well. You know, mm. not just with the ears, but with the eyes. Is it appropriate? Do people give you the signals to be able to play, yeah. for want of a better word? So yes. could you talk about, because you've, your whole career one faction of it is built on listening, is it not? Mm. It absolutely is. Um, and that's why I said I'm probably better at asking the questions than than answering them. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer to that is. I don't know. But you're absolutely right. It is. It, I mean, most of my job is about listening and listening carefully and knowing the moment when it might be funny, but mostly it isn't funny. But then you knowing the moment when you want to argue Um yeah, yeah, you've got to listen closely to what people are saying and, and pick up on, as you say, the cues of, uh, I mean, I, I think I've spoken to so many people on the phone over the years that I can I can tell pretty quickly. I mean, you mentioned um, Peter Cook earlier on, um, and uh, he, I think, um, really stood out because I, I can spot a, uh, a jokey caller I can spot a fake caller pretty quickly now because I, I've heard so many over the years. You you can tell when, when it's somebody ringing up as a prank. Um, and I can tell probably within 10 seconds. Um, and normally they, they sort of fade away and put the phone down or giggle or give it all away. And the, the, well, the, what was different about Peter Cook, of course, was that he phoned up as a, as a fake caller playing characters um but was brilliant at it and when you what you do when somebody rings in as a and they're not real you you test them and you you ask them questions to to see well uh do they really think that and where are they now and, and just 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 check out that they've got a proper backstory and he had an answer for everything because he was just a master improviser and, and and almost said, bring it on, you know, ask me more, ask me more, and I will. Uh, and he f it fleshed out this whole character, which then turned turned into a uh, almost a series. But it that's what made me suspicious. I mean, I didn't know it was Peter Cook to begin with, but that's what made me suspicious that he must be a professional because normally they just giggle and put the phone down. Well, no, I mean, but those are classics. And didn't he, was one of his characters Sven, was it? Yes, That's... yes, that was his main character, Sven from Swiss Cottage. Yuta, <laughs> uh, his, his girlfriend, who he was having marital problems with, or romantic problems at least. I don't know whether they got married in the end. But you see, this is why I think that you don't quite appreciate how good you are with comedy and with humour because you're being self-deprecating about that. But for Peter Cook to recognise that you could, as we call it in comedy, play, is a huge thing. So you get it. It may not be 
that you are always delivering the comedy line. Mm. But the feed, as yes. in the old double act, is as important as that. Yeah. Well, yes, I think that you know, it's a huge compliment that he that he called up and that, uh, you know, I could be effectively a straight man and um, and allow him to uh, to do this. And I think it was from what I've since read and, and met him a few times uh, uh, over the years. I think he was at a stage in his career where he really needed to uh, some kind of platform to do it. Um, because he wasn't really doing anything at the time and it was half past three in the morning and uh, he suddenly found an audience. Well, he he found an audience, but he also found uh, a kindred spirit, essentially, of somebody he could play with. And I think that in humour is really important to understand, you know, how it works. It's an ebb and flow. It's a timing. It's not stepping on his lines. No, absolutely, absolutely, um, and and phone in actually in the middle of the night where you can you can get away with much more than during the daytime. Uh, it is like the perfect platform for it because it is almost improvisation. Anybody who's listening to this, uh, they should uh, hunt it down. I don't know where it's available now, but you can tell us if it yeah, is. Yeah, they are on on YouTube, I believe, and not not due to me, but there uh, there are Peter Cook fans out there. I think if you Google Sven and Peter Cook, there's about 10 calls or so that uh, they're all very scratchy and medium wave because it was all a long time ago. But they're, they're very entertaining and you can just tell um, that he, uh, he he was having a bit of a ball. One of the things uh, which you will know from all comedians and everything is comedy sometimes crosses the line. Have you, have you ever got into a situation whereby you've crossed the line with your comedy? No, I don't think so. I think I'm pretty good at, because it's almost everything I do is on the air anyway. Um, I've, you, you develop a kind of built-in filter. So I'm, I'm pretty careful. I mean, there, there are the odd things where it goes wrong, like the poor lady with the sewer socks, um, where you put your foot in it. But mostly... Um, I'm pretty careful. And as I say, I mean, a lot of what we do now is, is much more serious. And there's just little moments of, of humour that, uh, that that lighten the mood. But no, I personally, I think it's really important to know when not to do something. I know that there are those that push the boundaries all the time. No, I think I think I know that, um, you know, Ofcom will, will be listening. And people nowadays, you could put one foot wrong and there's... 300 people on Twitter telling you that you've uh, you've done it wrong. Well, yeah, well, I mean, gosh, that kind of self-discipline to actually not put a foot wrong. Come on, Clive. There must have been an early broadcast. Oh, I'm, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of things. I, I, I mean, I, I feel I get things wrong every single day. And that's what you know, one of the things that keeps me going, really, is that it's 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 live and it's unpredictable. You, you don't know what's going to happen each programme. And I never quite get it right. And I always, I'm very hard on myself. And I always think um, after a programme, oh, should have done this, should have done that. It wasn't, I'll do better next time. But that's really interesting for, because every um, businessman of, of note, and we've got, you know, billionaires coming on this podcast, uh, people in comedy, people in entertainment, anybody who does really well 
tends to have that attitude. Very few people go, yeah, it's fine. It's gone. It was it was fine. Everybody's very harsh on themselves. And I think that's that's a trait mm -hmm. of successful people. I mean, do you do you find that having met a lot of successful people and worked with them? Do you find they're all thinking in that similar fashion? Uh, largely, yes. Um, although, I mean, there are one or two people who, uh, you know, they think, right, I've made it and don't have to try hard anymore. But very few, to be honest. I, I think um, I personally uh, am quite hard on myself, but I'm also quite nervous and anxious. I'm an anxious sort of person anyway. So I all, even now, after quite a few years I don't know how many even now but quite a few years of being on the radio I still go into the studio thinking oh it might not work and what if nobody calls in this this could be the time when nobody calls in and I honestly think that every time um and but I think I think you need a bit of that too well I do some people probably just got the confidence but it, it's sort of that little bit of anxiety it, it keeps you on your toes I, I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, I think when you lose that, I think you lose an edge. Mm. You want the, uh, I mean, let's just call it the butterflies. You know, when yeah. I work yeah. with rugby um, great, Welsh rugby great uh, Scott Quinnell, he would always talk about the butterflies. You'll, you'll always have butterflies in your stomach, yeah. but they'll turn into dragons. And, you know, <laughs> you use that. And yeah. and I think most performers, and by the way, I I think performance is you know you perform in business, you perform in entertainment, you you perform in sport. Most performers need that to to get them uh, to yeah. that next level. Yes, yeah. I mean, sport especially. I would have thought. I mean, I'm no sports person, but but you've got to be a little bit on edge and ready to go, haven't you? I mean, the adrenaline's got to be there. Oh, absolutely. Have you ever gotten yourself out of trouble by using humour? I, I think my, as I say, my way of not getting into trouble is that, uh, well, the only thing I have got, apart from my mental filter, which is, you know, don't get sued and don't get fined by the uh, the authorities, uh, we do also have a dump button. Um at a uh, there's on all live phone-ins pretty much um certainly in commercial radio you've got a button that you can press and it removes five or ten seconds worth of what you've just said and uh, so it's not my skill but the skill of knowing when to press the button if in doubt i press it anyway and uh, you'll just hear this weird jump back in uh, in in time to cut out what somebody said, either trying to be funny or be libelous or whatever. So that is that's just heaven sent the dump button. Yeah. Well, by the way, for the humorology podcast, the words dump button are heaven sent as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You've probably cut out loads of those rude words that I said earlier, haven't you? <laughs> exactly. I can't believe you said all those things earlier. Producer Simon will be pressing the dump yeah. button constantly. Uh, so uh, you reminded me of um, actually the dump button. Um, the time that we uh, had to press it the most was uh, John Cooper Clark, I think it was, the poet. John and uh, I'm pretty sure it was him. If it's not, you'll have to cut this whole bit out. But I'm <laughs> sure it was him. And I'll look it up because it was in the, in, in, in the papers. Um, but he 
he came on and, and I asked him to read one of his poems um, somewhat foolishly the uh, because there were two versions of this poem and one one had the F word in it uh, every other word so the effing this the effing that the effing that and it was just a, it was quite a magnificent poem but it was full of expletives and this was not at all allowed under uh, broadcasting rules um, so we pressed you press the button but then he carried on reading it out oh, it. so you press it again and then you press it again and uh, and what the listener heard was just the effing and then a little jump and then another effing and then another effing and eventually <laughs> the producer had to come out and, and actually ask him to leave the studio oh, um, my God. so it doesn't always save you uh, when dump buttons go wrong. Exactly, yes. New on Channel 5. <laughs> in but if, business. if you leave this bit in about John Cooper Clark, uh, I, I am, if anyone's hearing this now, it'll be because uh, I've checked it and it was him. If it wasn't, none of this will be included. Oh, that's right. Well, by the way, I absolutely adore John Cooper Clark's Me too. Uh, poetry. He's fantastic. I, yeah. he, is, he is a genius, which hopefully will stop us both getting sued if it's yes. not true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in business, is it survival of the fittest or survival of the funniest? Mm. I got to say, I mean, I'm sure this is going to be your your theme, and it's certainly from what we've said, but it's it's got to be a bit of both, hasn't it? I mean, you've you've got to have uh, a bit of a sense of humour, I think, um, but you've also got to know what you're doing at the same time, because you know I've met business people who are uh, hilarious but terrible at business, and people who are really brilliant at business but rub people up the wrong way, and uh, I think if you can get that mix right. And I do see, as I say, I've had lots of bosses who, who managed to get that mix right. I also see a lot of the younger sort of entrepreneurs who I've interviewed over the last few years who are more in the kind of digital business space. They do seem to have quite a, a more modern kind of chilled attitude. So they manage to combine a real sort of um, attention to detail, specifics, a business sense, but also the kind of relaxed, easygoing attitude at the same time. And if uh, I think that's the kind of perfect combination, uh, uh, you know, the wry smile, a little, little bit of a joke, but um, but also you've got to know what you're doing. And and timing as well, knowing when to do it, which is, you know, comes back to your extraordinary skill set of knowing when to shut up and when to say something. That's uh, I mean, I think that in business, that's really useful as well, isn't it? Can I speak now? Is this the moment? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my clues just, uh, I lost it there. <laughs> yeah. Is well, that... yeah, well, thanks, thanks for showing me up. <laughs> <laughs> no, superb. What were we talking about? <laughs> yeah, now you're going to show me up as being the worst interviewer in the world. Not the worst all. interviewer interviews <laughs> the best interviewer in the world. And and all kinds of hilarity ensues. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, go on. No, but it's it. I think that that the ability to do that is is probably one of the biggest abilities in life. Is mm -hmm. to, 
Mm. And I just wanted you to just slightly expand on that for me of, of how you do it and any advice you'd give to somebody, whether that's in radio presenting or whether that's in business about what you do. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier on about actually listening and, and picking up on the kind of social cues. And uh, um, it, it's, it's communication in the end, isn't it? Um, and there's a lot of people who, I mean, in interviewing, we're talking about interviewing at the moment. The most important thing, as you know, is is with interviewing is to listen to the answers. But it's extraordinary how many people don't. And, and it works as a conversation because I'm picking up on what you're saying. You're picking up on what I'm saying. But, it, it, you know, if you you don't listen to the answers and then I mean, in the early days, I've made that mistake. And I've just got my five questions on a piece of paper. And I don't realize that question number two has already been answered or the answer to number one. And then you sound a complete idiot. And it, I know it sounds basic, but listening is is crucial. And using what you hear the first time to inform your your next question. Yeah. And I think that's useful in in life and in business. Yeah. I mean, if you're interviewing somebody for a job, you know, don't yeah. just, you yeah. know, I, I've been privy to so many job interviews when they've, they've called me in for advice. And people are, like you say, just reading off a list. Yeah. 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 Extraordinary. Uh, we're going to into the section we like to call quickfire questions. Oh, crikey. Who's the funniest person in business that you've met? Um, funny person in business? Oh, I don't know. I haven't met that many people in business apart from the ones I've worked for. So uh, all my all my uh, amusing bosses, especially Richard Park. Well, it, he's hilarious, um, but very, very serious at the same time. Okay. Uh, what book makes you laugh? Let me think. I've just read uh, Brian Bilston. Do you know Brian Bilston? He's like the Twitter poet laureate. And uh, he comes up with these lovely little sort of Twitter poems. And he's just written a book called Diary of a Somebody. And it's just of the moment. So I'd highly recommend that. Very funny. Actually made me laugh. Great. What film makes you laugh? I The last time I really laughed out loud, I just re-watched um, Alpha Piper, Alan Partridge. Um, anybody who works in radio... Uh, loves Alan Partridge, partly because we're fearful that we're turning into him. And you, you've got to kind of try and resist being being uh, accidental Partridge. But yeah, his, his lampooning of radio is so spot on. It's brilliant. Oh, I, I love it as well. What word makes you laugh? Um, sausages. <laughs> I, See, it works. I, <laughs> it does work, actually. I was thinking dump button's going to be the dump button. Yeah, is one word, dump button. You used to um, call prof for profanity. Oh, did but it? They changed the label on the button to uh, to dump now, which actually <laughs> dump sounds more comical, doesn't it? It does. It? The slightly serious note. What's not funny? Trying to be funny when it's not. You know, the, you're talking about bosses. You don't want to go down the Ricky Gervais line, uh, which, uh, you know, is, of course, he's making it funny because it's not funny. But uh, and puns, puns, never do puns. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Puns are terrible, never funny. Terrible. Don't, don't um, do puns. Would you rather be considered clever or funny? Um, I'd rather be considered either of those. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, uh, You'll take anything. Uh, yeah, I'll take whatever's going. Yes, clever, funny, preferably a bit of both. I just, yes, just like to be considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm on, you know, in the top hundred uh, of either of those, that'd be marvellous. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, desert Island gags. If you could only take one joke with you to a desert island, what would it be? Oh, blimey. Somebody told me one, reminded me of one yesterday, um, which, if I can remember it, it's what's, uh, what's orange and sounds like a parrot. I don't know. What's orange and sounds like a parrot? Carrot. <laughs> See, that's, that's the last joke that somebody told me uh, yesterday. And um, beyond that, I, I literally, I must have heard millions of jokes. I can't remember any of them. A friend of mine, actually somebody you know, uh, told me that joke, reminded me of that joke because they won a, uh, weirdly, a, um, a pound of sausages by telling that joke. Because uh, we went into a butcher's. And it said, um, free sausages if you can tell us a joke. And that's the one he told. And he oh. won sausages as a result. That's it, you see? So you have the funniest word yep. and the funniest joke in one yep. story. Well, true that's story. Fun. Not necessarily funny, but true. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Clive. Thank you so much for sharing all your good humour on the Humorology podcast. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's, it's, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. The Humorology podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.